and go. Hey, happy Mother's Day again. It's, no, seriously, it is, it's really fun to be able to celebrate with you. And uh, I hope that whatever you're doing for your mom, it's like better this year because last year's Mother's Day was kind of a wash. All right. So you have, you have all the opportunities in the world to make it better. Uh, some of you moms, just reflecting on this, Lindsay and I were just talking about what is it going to be like to parent? And we concluded we have no idea. So that's what we're figuring out. Like, we're just going to find out. You're going to be here for it, too. So uh, if you see us doing something wrong, tell us after. But what I think is funny is I, I remember saying this phrase to my mom so often, and, and moms, immediately you're going to nod your heads, because I remember saying to her as the oldest child, kind of the pioneer, the trendsetter for our other three siblings, you can't tell me what to do. Have you, any moms in the room ever had anyone say that? Okay, almost all of you are like, yes, maybe even today. Someone said that to me. But I remember because I was the oldest, and my dad traveled a lot for work, so in my head, I was kind of the authority figure in our home, and I was like, you can't tell me what to do. I'm the man of the house. I am 10, okay? I'm 10, and I'm the oldest, and I've got three little siblings, all two years young, all two years separated from me, and I, I remember saying that over and over, and, and I thought, well, surely once you get older and mature, you stop saying that, right? You never say that to a boss, or you would never say that to your spouse, well, uh, I was reminded of how immature I was, like one of the very first meals Lindsay and I had together. So we were married. Uh, she was already aware of how to do things in the kitchen. And so bucking all stereotypes, she cooked the first meal and sat down. And I kind of was there, set the table, we sit down. And let me just be real clear with you. I uh, I think I grew up in the country. I mean, rural Caledonia felt like the country. I don't know if it really is the country or not, but we had two and a half acres of country grass is what my mom called it. It was really like a dust bowl. And so I just grew up thinking like that's, and I had the manners to match that. Uh, and so my household etiquette was not uh, up to par with someone who came from very uh, prestigious rural New Jersey, like Lindsay's family did. And so I sat down with her at that first meal, and immediately my disposition was elbows on the table and kind of crowding around my plate like I was never going to get food again. <laughs> You've all done this probably, right? You, or you've seen, or you have a kid that does this. And she was like, wow, you're intense. Like, why are you holding? Like, I was just all in. And I had like a huge fork, something just like this. And I literally, I was like, thank you so much for making this. It looks incredible. I'm going to dig in. And so I take a huge scoop and I bite my fork. And I'll, if you don't know what that's like, let me just demonstrate it for you. I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I love you too much. But uh, it was an awful sound, but to me, it was a normal sound. <laughs> I was just like, that's, that's what you do. That's how you get all the food off your fork. Obviously, you got to bite it and let's scrape it along. You got to like clink your bowl, clink your plate. Like I was like, I don't know, just it's embarrassing now that I think about having a kid, like how bad my manners were at the table. But I remember saying, because she was like, John, stop that. What are you doing? We've been married for like a couple weeks or a couple months at this point. And I was like, what do you mean what I'm doing? This is like how I eat. Like, you can't tell me what to do. And I was like, dang, I just set off a grenade in the kitchen because uh, that did not pan out super well. Um, she is incredibly gracious and very kind, but that I saw a different dark side. <laughs> I don't ever want to see that again. I vowed I will never say that again. Like, you can't tell me what to do. But it's funny now because what really, if you think about it, just human relationship speaking, what makes relationships work is this whole idea, and it really comes from Scripture, is this, the concept and reality of submission. Submission. Paul says this over and over again in different letters, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Like, like be willing to lay down your privileges or your advantages 
to actually let someone else be your authority. It's like a really antiquated idea we don't talk about very much. And you can go to a lot of weddings. You don't ever hear that as much anymore. But it's this whole idea that because God laid himself down, laid his privileges and, and, and rights aside and let someone else be the authority, submitted to his father, that you and I have the life we have. But that's actually, if you think about it, what makes real and good, healthy marriages, healthy parenting systems, healthy sibling relationships work is this idea of submission. But if you ask the question, like we're in this series for people, this is week five, like what is submission, this weird kind of biblical concept, what does this have to do with being for people, for, for actually empowering generations? Last week we talked about the need to empower the younger generation. I want to talk today to younger people. How do we relate and connect and serve the people in front of us, the people who you would describe as older than you. Because I think this is one of the areas that is so common in culture, it's an easy place to get divided, to say like, you are younger, this is how you think, or vote, or, or worship, that's not really how you should do it. And there's kind of a view as, an old, as a younger person to say, well, that's old, or that doesn't make sense, or it's, it's irrelevant now, but submission, this idea of submission has everything to do with being able to reach your friends, family, and neighbors for Christ. Everything. And yet it's something we so often disregard or neglect and don't talk about. Let me just give you the truth, the reality, real up front. If you want to be like Jesus, you have to submit to him. If you want to grow in your relationship with Christ, if you want your faith to form and to grow and to flourish, that requires you to submit to Jesus as your authority. And that's going to sound so good on paper, just wait till you have to try to do it. Because that's what I encountered in our marriage, right? It was like, well, okay, I, I said I do. Of course I submit to Lindsay. Of course she can be the authority of my life. Of course I'll, I'll be her authority. It's like this mutual thing. But when it came down to it, I always wanted to say, you can't tell me what to do. Like, I'm my own person. I'm independent. I am my own leader. Like, it's my truth. It's my image. It's my identity. Like, I've formed myself. But friends, this is a missing piece in so many of our relationships with Jesus, older, younger, wherever you find yourself. We don't know what Jesus says, and often if we do, we don't obey what he says. We just kind of let it float out there and decide we're going to pick our own authority figure to submit to, and often it's not Jesus. Uh, if you think about who do you submit to, I want you to do like a 15-second self-evaluation. I'm really going to pause for 15 seconds and think about who is it that I submit to in my life? Who's like someone I view as an authority figure? Take 15 seconds, and I want to address those people that came to mind. Take 15 seconds, actually think about it. Okay, I can't wait 15 seconds. That's too long, too awkward. Uh, but there probably was a name or a category that came to mind, or maybe it's a boss or uh, someone in your life, a spiritual figure, or it could be a spouse, could be a parent. Normally, there's two categories of people we submit to, and I want to jump into an actual scriptural example of this playing out. Normally, we submit to, number one, people we admire. And I'm talking to people 30 and under here. That's, that's something we get sucked into. We end up viewing people in celebrity positions or actors or activists or famous pastors or preachers or uh, our boss at work. Sometimes those are the people we admire. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but I want to show you why that's a really warped way to view authority, just by someone you choose. 
Like, well, they're my authority. I pick them. I like them. They think like me. They, they act like me. They like the same things I do. So they're going to be my authority figure. They get to tell me how to, how to dress or how to spend my money or how to form a relationship or how not to form a relationship. That's what I'm going to do. And there's a second category of people that all of us have the ability to choose as our authority figure. And it's ultimately people that we know are for us. Like we're willing to submit to people that we know love us. We're willing to submit to a boss that we know is not just after a profit, but is after how, how am I doing? How's my career moving forward? How's my family meeting their needs? It's people that at the end of the day are for other people. What I want to do is look backwards at 1 Kings 19, this conversation we dove into last week between Elijah and Elisha, and look at what he does. As a younger person, this is a model for us. 1 Kings 19, and we're just going to read the very last verse of what we read this past weekend. This is what it says. So Elisha left him and went back. Remember, Elijah calls him, says, I'm going to give you this mantle, this prophetic calling. I'm going to put a destiny and purpose on your life. He took his yoke of oxen, remember 12 of them, right? Incredibly affluent family Elisha comes from, and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to all the people, likely the servants or the, the employees that he had under him, and they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and become his servant. This is a moment in Elijah and Elisha's life of submission. This is Elisha, what he could have said, and we talked about this with the two different cars, right? He could have said, actually, Elijah, I have a better plan for my life. I would prefer not to submit to your authority. I'm not going with you. And keep doing his thing, and probably everyone in his community and culture who were in their 20s at the time would be like, nice work. You really stuck it to the man there. Like You, you didn't take up the cloak. You decide I'm going to keep plowing my oxen. But that's not what Elisha does. Elisha submits to Elijah and burns his security blanket. Some of you, if you're in the younger generation like me, you need to burn your parents' house down. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Like, some of you are like, yes, all right, taking notes right now. But it's like the security blanket thing, right? And, and what I think is interesting um, is that ultimately, if you trace through the story of First and Second Kings, something that you, some of you know the story of Elisha continuing on, and some of you have never read it, you should go read it. Because Elisha ends up doing two times the amount of miracles that Elijah did. But I don't think he ever would have got there if in this moment of, of authority and challenge and submission, if Elisha had not followed through and said, you know what? I'm going to submit to this. I'm going to submit to this authority figure. I'm going to lay down what I think is right. I'm going to step aside. I'm going to burn my security blanket to take up the purpose and the calling and the destiny God has for me. I don't think we'd ever be reading about Elisha if this moment hadn't taken place. And so many of us, our lives with Jesus get shortchanged because we never make this jump from Jesus being a good example or a model or some interesting teachings to being our authority, to being someone that gets to tell us what to do. And this is a huge barrier for so many of us. And so I want to take you, I love what Jesus says about all this, because uh, if there's ever a Mother's Day sermon, if there's ever a time, I think talking about authority and submission just feels like a good one if you're a mom. You're like, yes, let's go after it. I can't wait for the drive home. And so we're going to go after it. This is what Jesus says to his disciples who were young and immature and obnoxious and loudmouths. Here's what he says in, in Luke 57 to 62. I'm going to read the whole passage, but I want to camp on this last one. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. 
Jesus replied in a very obscure, weird way that still doesn't totally make sense. He says, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Do you hear the story of Elijah and Elisha here a little bit? No security, no stability. It's a life of sacrifice and movement and faith. He said to another man, follow me, but he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Do you hear Elisha and Elijah in the story? Let me go back. And it said, Elisha burns the plow. But if you're a Jewish listener and you read and hear this last verse, you, the hair on the back of your neck would have stood up because you'd immediately connect to the story we just were reading in 1 Kings 19. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first, let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for, the servant, fit for service in the kingdom of God. What is he doing here? Jesus is speaking to a Jewish audience. He's saying, do you remember the story? Do you remember Elijah and Elisha? Do you remember the fact that he laid down his rights? He submitted to something greater and his life was radically transformed? That's what discipleship means. This is what it means. If, if you want to become like Jesus, you have to end up submitting to him. Can I just point out an area in our culture that I think we get so confused in how this plays out, not only in our families. Uh, so many of us are familiar now, a couple of years into the phenomenon of the, the concept of cancel culture, right? So many of us know, like you've seen it on the news or you've seen it on social media or you've read blogs or you've retweeted something about uh, cancel culture. What I think is really interesting, I, I want to say two different things. Number one, I think cancel culture is right. I think it's right because we should not allow just anyone to, to be the authority figure in our lives. There should be an incredibly high standard for leaders. I hope as a pastor, you hold me to an incredibly high standard of integrity, that you're not willing to let me do and say whatever I want to do and say. I hope that that's true. And if it became the point, I think this is kind of the rise of cancel culture in our generations. It's saying, hey, we're not okay with authority just because there's a position or a role or they have the job. We want someone who, who models the kind of integrity and character that we think is right. And we can look at that and say, well, that, that's so warped. That doesn't make sense. Why would you just cancel someone who, who says and does one wrong thing? Who hasn't done that? But I also think cancel culture can be inherently evil. I think it can be wrong because what God does not do with you when you mess up is cancel you. Thank God that he doesn't look at you and say, you screwed up or, or you messed up that marriage. You're never going to get another chance. That's not at all the gospel. The gospel is not cancel culture, but the gospel has sympathies towards it because what Jesus is saying is you may not see good models of authority and they should be challenged. And if you're in the younger generation, you're saying, I don't want to follow leaders who, who don't seem to ex be good examples or people of character and integrity who live lives for the benefit of others. But you can't also say anyone who does or say something that you don't agree with immediately gets the red X. Do you hear, do you hear what I'm saying here? I remember the very first president I, I recall watching on TV, we kind of huddled around and we were watching and... Um, I, it was before kind of the Monica Lewinsky scandal, but it was Bill Clinton. I wouldn't put him up as a great example that I want my kids to follow. I don't know about you. I don't know if you voted for him or not, but 
But as things unfolded throughout the presidency, I don't think that's a great example of authority. Now, what Jesus is saying is I ultimately am the perfect model of authority, and you can submit to me. I'm the only one <laughs> worth truly submitting your entire life to, your, your dreams, your career, your passions, your purpose. If you want to see the true example of, of like a perfect authority and perfect submission, it's in the person of Jesus. And I love what Dallas Willard, he's a phil- philosopher and theologian, he says about this, and I think it's worth repeating. That submission is doing what others think is best, which none of us like to do, by the way. (laughs) All of us like to be our own personal moral authority. And it's humbly setting aside our own ideas as supreme and our own will as ultimate, totally eliminating self-promotion. It is the highest level of fellowship. It applies the cross in our own lives, freeing us of the burden of having our own way and being all wise in our own eyes. It's, it's putting down the fork, if you will, and saying, Jesus, you can tell me what to do. I'm going to learn what you say, and I'm going to submit my life to that. There are so few disciples in our world today that do those things. So few. There are churches all around us, and I fall guilty to this as well, that say, Jesus, you can inform me on my decisions, but you don't get to make them. That's backwards Christian living. (laughs) That, that That is so hollow and empty, and you will be fatigued because it's really tiring being your own God. I don't know if you've tried that. I've tried that. It's exhausting. It's painful. It's stressful. It damages relationships. But when you and I decide to embrace reality, if we want to really grow to be like Jesus, we must submit to what he says. Then we can truly be for people. Because we will not be interested in our own promotion. We won't be interested in people just doing what we say or, or liking the things that we like or voting necessarily the way we vote, but be able to say, God, I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to let you be the authority. I'm going to learn what you say, and then I'm actually going to be one of those weird Christians that do it, that follow through and take the radical steps necessary. I said it earlier, I I love my mom. I think she's an incredible example of all the things that we're talking about in this series, but I remember being 13, and 13-year-old John was nerdy was obnoxious, was an annoying older brother, and definitely was bad at submitting to his parents, as, as I evidenced to you earlier. Like, that was just a big struggle for me. And I remember watching my parents. They, we were living in Caledonia at the time. My parents had great jobs. My parents, this was actually the longest place we had ever lived in one house. Like, you talk about comfort. Like, when you settle into a house and settle into a rhythm and your kids are in sports and you've got your job things going, you're taking steps in your career, it's like everything was good. I remember them coming home one day, and they they had met with a a couple friend of theirs in Holland. They had had lunch with them, and then they came back and said, hey, I just want to let you know, we're considering moving to Baku, Azerbaijan. And I recall considering, I have no idea where that is. <laughs> like, I, I had no clue or no kind of perspective. And I've shared the story with you. I was like, so you're telling me, like, I'm about to be a freshman in public high school. I'm about to be the new king of Caledonia High School, okay? And you're telling me, instead of doing all that, we're going to move a 20-hour plane ride from where we were in Caledonia, Michigan, to this middle-of-nowhere country a couple hours north of Iran. That's what we're going to do. That's how I'm going to spend my freshman year of high school. 
And there was this painful process. It was interesting. I've got three younger siblings. I feel like all of us took things away from that journey. But the one thing I took away in this painful kind of prayer and discernment process my parents were going through was they had to make a decision at some point to say, you know what? If we're really going to follow Jesus, we cannot make the gods of comfort and career and wealth and just familiarity our authority. We're going to let Jesus be our authority. And I'm a benefactor. I'm benefiting today still from their decision to submit. Say, Jesus, you can be my king. You get to be my boss. I'm going to learn what you say, which is that all nations need to be reached, and we're going to do our part. And we didn't even know. We left not knowing how long we'd be there. It was kind of a journey in faith. It was like, okay. And initially, my parents said no to this. They, they emailed the team back who was kind of in the interview process for this, for this humanitarian aid role. And they were just like, no, we're not going to do it. And it wasn't until like, it was like a day later, all of us had this collective like nausea and sickness. And, and it was weird. I've never had that experience before. And they emailed it back and said, I I think we're supposed to do this. I think we're supposed to say yes. I think why we said no was just fear. We hadn't submitted all of that to God. And so we eventually ended up going, spending a year there. And I remember uh, we would, like, this is way before actual, like, FaceTime. And this was dial-up internet age. Like, this is in the middle of nowhere, Middle Eastern country. So anything you had in 2009, we were like, five years behind you. <laughs> like, I remember the, the best kind of moments of our week was when mom would just be like, I cannot do this anymore. I just need to go to McDonald's. And so we would go to McDonald's. We'd hop on the Metro bus and go to McDonald's. Like, there's just this place of comfort. But I remember family members, uh, Yahoo instant messaging us. That's how old it was. <laughs> like, they were Yahoo IMing us. And it took like 10 minutes to get the message they were trying to send. And I remember this one conversation overhearing where my, my mom thought I was in bed, but it was a conversation with her elderly mother who said, don't you know, like you're, you just moved your entire family to a country where eight years ago sent people to bomb your country. What part of, I mean, that, that was just eight years ago. Like, why are you doing this? And I remember mom just unpacking again this journey of submission they've been on, of saying, I'm just going to lay down. I know it doesn't make any sense. I know that my kids may never, never fully understand the weight of this decision, but now someone entering my 30s, that, that's a moment for me. I look back and say, wow, I am so glad that my parents decided we're going to let Jesus be our authority. And if you're in the younger generation, you find yourself in an age bracket similar to me, can I just tell you, make that decision early. Don't wait don't try to run your own life for a while until you crash and burn it. Let Jesus be your authority. If you want to become like Jesus, you have to end, at the end of the day, end up submitting to him. And so can I just ask you the basic question that all of us should be wrestling with right now is what area of life are you still running? What area of life are you still your own authority? Is it a financial space? Is it a parenting decision? Is it uh, a career path? Is it a college choice? What area of life are you still running? Can I just be real upfront and go first? For me, it's my time. I've been running at too fast of a pace. And I literally felt like I got sick this week and tired. Like just exhausted, felt like I couldn't do anything. Canceled meetings. Because between the building project and having a baby in the next 24, no, I'm just kidding. I don't know when it's going to happen. That was not prophetic, I promise. But 
in that journey, kitchen renovations at our house. I mean, just so many things. I'm in two master's classes right now. It just feels like, wow, God, I am outrunning you is how I feel. And God, the invitation from Jesus as my authority was slow down. You're running at a pace I never asked you to run at. Just slow down. Like submit to me. Take a moment to take a breath. Stop forcing so many things in your life. And so that's that's where it is for me. That's an area just today I'm saying, Jesus, will you just will you run this part? <laughs> will you run this the calendar part? Will you run the pace part for me? But what is it for you? I, I wrote down a few things because I, I don't know if this is for somebody or if this is just me talking out loud but or thinking out loud, but this may look like letting someone else this week make an important decision and you not make that decision. You submitting to someone else saying you can make that decision. Because so many of us are so power hungry and love control, that would remove us from that seat. It would actually allow us to submit to someone else. There may be a really important, difficult conversation someone in this room needs to have. And maybe you don't need to force it. Maybe you feel like you've got to force it. Maybe you just need to rest in the fact that God is working things out and there's going to be a better time. Just slow down and just submit to him in there. Some of us need to start receiving criticism without defending ourselves. <laughs> it's a boss sometimes. It's a parent. It's a, it's a sibling to a sibling. It's a boyfriend to a girlfriend. It's a best friend, a roommate to you. And you're like, you see, the criticism comes. You're like, hey, you, well, you don't understand or you don't know or you don't have a right or... You can't tell me what to do. Maybe the invitation from Jesus today is just to receive it. It's to not defend yourself. It's not to it's to model what Jesus modeled when he was persecuted, harassed, and mocked and say, Well, you guys don't understand. There's something unique about when you just can receive it. You just let it happen. Some of us need to root out complaining. But there are things in our life that are so good and we focus on the thing that is so bad that we miss out on the true things that God has for us. Some of us need to learn to pray without specific requests for a week. <laughs> Not to say, God, here's my list. just want to bring you my list. It's to say, you know, I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to thank God. I'm just going to honor him. I'm just going to value him. Where is God inviting you to trust him? Where is God inviting you to make him the authority of your life again, to submit to him? So I want to pray for us. And then we'll continue on uh, as we wrap up here. Jesus, thank you that you are inviting us. I, I just thank you as I think about the journey some of our families are on right now. Some of them very difficult. Decisions that need to be made. Conversations that need to happen. Finances that aren't where they're supposed to be. I pray that you would allow us, Jesus, to just fully submit to you today. To surrender our lives to you and say, Jesus, there are some things in my life I am really bad at running. There's some things in my life I'm not good at leading and I'm trying to force it. I'm trying to micromanage my own life. Will you take this for me? Will you be my authority? There's some of us who need to have the Elisha moment that we're holding on to things. We are trying to be our own God. We are trying to run our lives and make our decisions and not listen to anyone, to not respect people older than us. And your invitation today is just to, is to burn the plow, is to not look back and say, God, I'm just going to lay all these things down. I'm going to set them on fire so I can take up the life that you have for me. 
So I thank God, thank you, God, for doing that work in our church. Thank you for doing that in our families. I pray that you would help us today to honor you in that decision, to truly grow, to be like you. We love you, and we surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen.